Chapter 11 Ministers and Success We are unto God a sweet savour of Christ, as well in them that perish as in them that are saved. 2 Corinthians 2.15 The minister is not responsible for his success. He is, though, responsible for what he preaches. He is accountable for his life and actions, but he is not responsible for other people. If I simply preach God's word, even if there were never a soul saved, the king would say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew 25 23. If I only tell my message, even if no one would listen to it, he would say, You have fought the good fight, receive your crown. 2 Timothy 4 7 8. You hear the words of the text. We are unto God a sweet savour of Christ, as well in them that perish as in them that are saved. 2 Corinthians 2.15. This will appear clear if I just tell you what a gospel minister is called in the Bible. Sometimes he is called an ambassador. For what is an ambassador responsible? He goes to a country as a representative. He carries terms of peace to the conference. He uses all his talents for his master. He tries to show that the war is contrary to the prosperity of the different countries. He attempts to bring about peace, but the other kings rashly refuse it. When he comes home, his master asks, Why did you not make peace? Why, my lord? he would say. I told them the terms, but they said nothing. Well, then, he will say, You have done your duty. I am not going to condemn you if the war continues. The minister of the gospel is also called a fisherman. A fisherman is not responsible for the quantity of fish he catches, but for the way he fishes. That is a mercy for some ministers, I am sure, for they have neither caught fish nor even attracted any around their nets. They have been spending all their life fishing with most elegant silk lines and gold and silver hooks. They always use nicely polished phrases, but the fish will not bite for all that, whereas we of a rougher order have put the hook into the jaws of hundreds. However, if we cast the gospel net in the right place, even if we don't catch anything, the master will find no fault with us. He will say, Fisherman, did you labor? Did you throw the net into the sea in the time of storms? Yes, my lord, I did. What have you caught? Only one or two. Well, I could have sent you a school of fish, if it so pleased me. It's not your fault. I give in my sovereignty where I please, and I withhold when I choose. As for you, you have well labored. Therefore, there is your reward. Sometimes the minister is called a sower. No farmer expects a sower to be responsible for the harvest. All he is responsible for is sowing the seed. Does he sow the right seed? If he scatters it on good soil, then he is happy. But if it falls by the wayside and the fowls of the air devour it, who will blame the sower? Could he help it? No, for he did his duty. He scattered the seed over a broad area and there he left it. Who is to blame? Certainly not the sower. If a minister comes to heaven with only one sheaf of grain on his shoulder, his master will say, O reaper, once a sower, where did you gather your sheaf? My lord, 
I sowed upon the rock, and it would not grow. Only one seed on a chance Sunday morning was blown a little way by the wind, and it fell upon a prepared heart, and this is my one sheaf. Hallelujah! The angelic choirs resound. One sheaf from a rock is more honour to God than a thousand sheaves from good soil. Therefore, let him take his seat as near the throne as that man over there who, stooping beneath his many sheaves, comes from some fertile land, bringing his sheaves with him. I believe that if there are degrees in glory, they will not be in proportion to success, but in proportion to the earnestness of our endeavors. If we have the right intentions, and if as ministers we strive to do the right thing with all our hearts, even if we never see any effect, we will still receive the crown. But much more happy will be the person who has it said about him in heaven, He shines forever because he was wise and won many souls unto righteousness. It is always my greatest joy to believe that if I would enter heaven, I will in future days see heaven's gates open, and in will come someone who, looking me in the face, will smilingly move along to God's throne and there bow down before him. Then, when he has paid his homage and his adoration, he will come to me, and although unknown, will clasp my hand. If there were tears in heaven, surely I would weep, and he would say, Brother, from your lips I heard the word. Your voice first admonished me of my sin. Here I am, and you were the instrument of my salvation. As the gates open one after another, the ransomed souls will come in, and for each one of these a star, another gem in the diadem of glory. Each one of them brings another honor and another note in the song of praise. Blessed are those who shall die in the Lord, and their works will follow them. For that is what the Spirit says. Revelation 14, 13. What will become of some good Christians if crowns in heaven are measured in value by the souls that are saved? Some of you will have a crown in heaven without a single star in it. I recently read an article about the starless crown in heaven. A man in heaven with a crown without a star. Not one person saved by him. He will sit in heaven as happy as he can be, for sovereign mercy saved him. But oh, to be in heaven without a single star! Mother, what do you say to be in heaven without one of your children to deck your brow with a star? Minister, What would you say to be a polished preacher and yet have no star? Writer, will it speak well of you to have written even as gloriously as John Milton if you are found in heaven without a star? I am afraid we pay too little regard to this. People will sit down and write huge books and volumes so that they can have them put in libraries forever and have their names handed down by fame. But how few are looking to win stars forever in heaven! Toil on, child of God, toil on! For if you want to serve God, your bread cast upon the waters will be found after many days. Ecclesiastes 11 1. If you send in the feet of the ox, you will reap a glorious harvest in that day when he comes to gather in his elect. The minister is not responsible. For his success.
However, to preach the gospel is high and solemn work. The minister has been very often degraded into a trade. In these days, men are taken and made into ministers who would have made good captains at sea, or who could have waited well at the counter, but who were never intended for the pulpit. They are selected by man. They are crammed with literature and are educated up to a certain point. They graduate and people call them ministers. I wish every one of them success, for as good Joseph Irons used to say, God be with many of them, even if it is only to make them hold their tongues. Man-made ministers are of no use in this world, and the sooner we get rid of them, the better. Their way is this. They prepare their sermons very carefully, then read it on Sunday most sweetly in a pleasant voice, and so the people go away pleased. But that is not God's way of preaching. If so, I am sufficient to preach forever. I can buy printed sermons for a few dollars, that is to say, provided they have been preached fifty times before. They cost more if they have not been preached before. But that's not the way. Preaching God's Word is not, as some seem to think, mere child's play, a mere business or trade to be taken up by anyone. A man ought to feel first that he has a solemn call to it by God. Next, he should know that he really possesses the Spirit of God, and that when he speaks there is an influence upon him that enables him to speak as God would have him speak. Otherwise, he should immediately leave the pulpit. He has no right to be there, even if the ministry is on his own property. He has not been called to preach God's truth, and unto him God says, What have you to do to declare my statutes? Psalm 50, 16. What is difficult about preaching God's gospel? Well, it must be somewhat hard, for Paul said, Who is sufficient for these things? 2 Corinthians 2.16. I will tell you first that it is difficult, because it is so difficult not to be warped by your own prejudices in preaching the word. You want to say a stern thing, and your heart says, Master, in so doing you will condemn yourself. And the temptation is, not to say it. Romans 2, 1. Another trial is that you are afraid of displeasing the rich in your congregations. You think, if I say such and such a thing, so and so will be offended. He doesn't approve of that doctrine. I'd better leave it out. Maybe you will happen to win the applause of the multitude, and you must not say anything that will displease them, for if they cry, Hosanna, today, they will cry, Crucify, Crucify, tomorrow. All these things work on a minister's heart. He is a man, and he feels it. Then comes the sharp knife of criticism, along with the arrows of those who hate him and hate his Lord. He cannot help feeling it sometimes. He can put on his armor and cry, I don't care about your malice. But there were times when the archers sorely wounded even Joseph. Then he stands in another danger and wants to come out and defend himself, for whoever tries to do so is a great fool. He who lets his detractors alone, and like the eagle does not care about the chattering of the sparrows, or like the lion will not turn aside to rend the snarling jackal, he is the man, and he will be honored. However, the danger is that we want to set ourselves right. 
Oh, who is sufficient to steer clear from these rocks of danger? Scripture, who is sufficient for these things, to stand up and to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ? Ephesians 3 8. Sunday after Sunday, and weekday after weekday.